if you're using the Bible. Or I can't tell you which page it is if you're using a, a Bible of your own. But page 568. And as we look at this psalm, and before we, we read it, um, there are 150 psalms in the Psalter, and this is the first one. Uh, and many commentators have suggested that this first psalm is an introduction to all of the psalms, and not just the first psalm. In fact, uh, several have suggested that not just Psalm 1, but also Psalm 1 and Psalm 2 are an introduction to the whole of the Psalter, and so they're, they're very important psalms. And so this week we'll look at Psalm 1, and Lord willing, next week we'll look at Psalm 2, which one, one commentator said uh, about these psalms, that these are the poetic pillars that escort the reader into the temple of the book of Psalms. So we're, we're going into the temple of the book of Psalms here. And Psalm 1 puts before us as readers two ways to live. Hear now Psalm 1. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law, he meditates day and night. He's like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in, in its season, and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Shall we pray? Father, we come again, and we ask that as we have just sung, that your word would feed us, that it would nourish us spiritually, that you would give us attentive hearts and ears to your word, to your words, that they might change us from the inside out. For we ask it in Jesus' name, amen. As we look at this psalm, it divides into to three parts here. Uh, at least that's how I'm dividing it. And the first part is this two different influences. Talking about two ways to live this morning, and there are two different influences. Here's what the psalmist says again in verse 1. Blessed is the man, and when we hear man here, we need to hear not male only, but we need to hear person, the male or female, the boy or girl, who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law he meditates day and night. Psalm 1 has been called a, a wisdom psalm and a Torah psalm. And when we say Torah psalm, we mean a law psalm. That would be a synonym for that. Or an instruction psalm, a wisdom psalm, teaching psalm. Um, one reason why some think that both 
Psalm 1 and Psalm 2 introduce the whole book of Psalms is that Psalm 1 begins with the word blessed. And Psalm 2, if you're looking at the Bible open in front of you, uh, the last part of that verse of that psalm ends with the word blessed. Blessed are those who take refuge in him, in the Son. That's from Psalm 2. But blessed it can also be translated happy, is a person who is not guided, who is not influenced by the wicked. Blessing or blessedness is a gift from God. We don't earn it, but we do put ourselves in a position to receive it by the way that we live our lives. And so my question for you this morning is, what is guiding? What is influencing you and your life this morning? Is it God's law or something else? Is it God's instruction? The law of the Lord, the Torah of Yahweh, the teaching, the instruction, the wisdom for life, which comes from Yahweh, the covenant Lord. In that sense, we're talking about revelation. That is something that God reveals to us. It's not religion. It's not how we get to God on our own. That's religion. It's what God reveals to us for the purpose of helping us live in harmony with his will. Perhaps my favorite definition or description of the law of the Lord, the Torah of Yahweh, is divine truth for daily life. Divine truth for daily life. It's practical. The godly man or woman is concerned with pleasing God and doing God's will in every circumstance. The psalmist says that his delight is in the law of the Lord. It's in the instruction of the Lord. Psalm 119, which is also a, a law psalm or a Torah psalm, says, How sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. We know what honey tastes like. God's word is even sweeter to the psalmist. The godly man or godly woman, boy or girl, wants to please God and glorify God. He or she wants to know how God wants him to live. So he, so, and so wants to know what God's word says. In fact, in verse 2, it says, And on his law he meditates, or she meditates, day and night. Now, what does that sound like to you, to meditate day and night? It, day and night, it may sound like a monastery. There's only one time when I visited a monastery. It was in, in Kentucky. And the people in the monastery uh, pray and read scripture. Most of the, although some monasteries, they, they make things. They have farms and things like that. But, but in some, they, they meditate literally day and night in shifts. I mean, people, some. And so maybe you're thinking that. But who, but who has time to do that? Maybe a minister or maybe somebody retired could possibly have time to do that. But I don't, I don't think so. Uh, even, even ministered and retired people need other things to do. What if you have a long commute and work long hours, which a number of you do at your job? What if you have small children at, at home? Or maybe not small children, have children at home. How can you delight in the law of the Lord and meditate on it day and night? What if you're a student and you're studying something else? How can you meditate day and night? What might this look like for you? I think we need to wrestle with this a little bit. And every person's circumstances are different. And so it may look a little differently. But think about Joshua, who is 
not a priest. He was a leader who replaced Moses as the leader of Israel. And yet he who was not assigned as a priest a role of meditating uh, on, and studying God's word and teaching it to other people. But he said this in Joshua 1.8, This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate it on it day and night. Here's the leader of Israel saying this. So that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. The focus here is not on knowing for, for the sake of having information. No, it's on knowing for the sake of doing. It's practical, divine truth for daily life. Or as James the Apostle says, be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. What good is, uh, no, sorry, what, not what good, it's very good. What is God's instruction about handling Money, for instance, has much to say about the Bible does. Or about relationships, marriage, sex. Or about work. Or about communicating with others, whether in person or, or on social media. Or our relationships within the church. Do we know what God's revealed will is? We have it here written down for us in God's word. And if we don't know what God's instruction is, or we fail to read it, or fail to interpret it properly, we'll not be able to, to live it out, to delight in it. We may think of meditating on God's instruction as, a, as an individual activity, something we do alone. But I'd encourage us to think about it not just as something we might do on our own, but also something we do with others, whether it's in worship, or in small groups, or in Sunday school, or Bible studies, wherever we may be. Positively, we need to make sure that we are submitting ourselves to God and to God's word and that we are associating ourselves with, with God's people. We, we call this participating in the means of grace. And if you were to turn in your hymnal, I don't know how many of you have hymnals here, and I know those of you on Zoom don't, um, or not many of you do, probably. But in the Westminster Shorter Catechism, and it's on page 876 if you do want to look in a hymnal. Um, in the Westminster Shorter Catechism, question 89. Since I hear some of you turning, I'll, I'll give you a moment. Question 89 says, how is the word made effectual? That is the word of God made effectual or effective. How is it effectual or effective to salvation? And the answer to that question, written so long ago, was the Spirit of God maketh the reading, but especially the preaching of the Word, an effectual, an effective means of convincing and converting sinners and of building them up in holiness and comfort through faith unto salvation. We're all sinners. This applies to all of us. The question right after that, question 90, says, How is the word to be read and heard that it may be effectual, effective to salvation? And the answer to that question is this, that the word may become effectual, effective to salvation. We must attend thereunto with diligence, preparation, and prayer. Receive it with faith and love. Lay it up in our hearts and practice it in our lives. Many of us are watching the Olympics and, 
Every single Olympic athlete did not get there by slacking off. They had to to work diligently. They had to work hard at whatever their event is uh, in order to make it to the Olympics. There was an elder at at, uh, our former church who used to walk to his job as as a professor, a physics professor at the University of Maryland. And as he was walking to work from his house, he would memorize large portions of scripture, books of the Bible like Romans. Now, I know most of us probably don't have the same memory that he he does. He may have had a photographic memory. I'm not quite sure how he memorized Romans, quite honestly. Uh, And most of us don't walk to work either. But it takes effort, nonetheless, even for someone like him to to learn the word of God, to to meditate on it, to use his time in such a way that, that he can learn it better. Some of us have long commutes in which we drive by ourselves in cars, to work, and we could use some of this time to, to meditate on Scripture, perhaps even to memorize some of it, to get it into our hearts, rather than listening to the news, which is not likely to cheer us up the way the Word of God can. But notice what the righteous person, person here in Psalm 1 is not doing in verse 1. He or she is not walking in the counsel of the wicked, nor standing in the way of sinners, nor sitting in the seat of scoffers. What is it that is influencing our thinking? What is it that is influencing our lives? Because whatever is influencing our thinking is influencing our lives. We may not like this binary perspective that, that we're given here in Psalm 1, that either the word of God is influencing our thinking and our living, or something else is. Um, who's, if we're not doing God's will, whose will are we doing? What does it mean to stand in the, in the way of sinners? To stand in the way of sinners is to share their way of life. Uh, we have a, a proverb that, uh, maybe it's an American proverb, maybe it came from somewhere else, but birds of a feather flock together. We're more influenced by those whose opinions uh, we value and spend time with than we like to think. In fact, as we were talking about this in the men's small group this week, uh, Fred Carr was, was sharing about a time when he was a chaplain and he was stationed overseas and some American soldiers uh, said that they would never go, go down to the, the brothels, the houses of prostitution, when they first arrived at the military base overseas. But as time went on, as, as more people were going in that direction, some of those who professed to be Christ- Christians he saw heading that way as well and doing what others were doing. Does this mean that we don't spend time with those who don't share our faith? No, we will spend time with those who are unbelievers. But we cannot and should not participate in some of the activities that they do that are contrary to God's word and to his will. Yes, Jesus spent time with tax collectors and sinners, including sinners who were Pharisees and religious leaders. But he never participated Jesus never participated in their sins. He never sinned. He did not sit in the seat of scoffers, those who mock God's word or mock other people, frankly. Those who are self-sufficient and act with arrogant pride and who refuse to accept and submit to God's word, to his instruction. Jesus didn't sit in the seat of scoffers involving mocking or making light of God's word. Of course he wouldn't do that. It's his word. 
And he didn't make fun or mock others either. So he didn't identify himself with the thinking and planning of mockers and the godless. Their whole manner of life, their walking, their standing, their sitting, is all in opposition to God. But consider those who are living the other way, living differently, in complete loyalty, or at least desiring to live in complete loyalty to the Lord. As the person pictured in in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 7, speaking of of, uh, parents, to, to parents here, you shall teach them God's words diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way, when you lie down and when you when you rise. It's getting more difficult to live out the Christian faith here in the West. Difficult for ourselves and difficult even more so as well for our children. Resistance and hostility is is growing increasingly in North America. In fact, yesterday I was reading uh, an, an opinion piece in the Wall Street Journal in which the person writing mentioned that 56 churches have been burned or vandalized in Canada this summer. I'm guessing none of you have heard about that, or at least not that many. 56 churches have been burned or vandalized in Canada this summer. That's a lot of churches. It's getting harder to live in this way, and yet we're called to live differently. And it yields, these two ways to live yield different results, secondly. They they yield different results. What are the results of the two ways to live? Well, the first result, the person who delights in God's word and seeks to do God's will, verse 3 says, he is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in season, and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. These words sound very different, different, I'm sorry, very similar to what is written by the prophet Jeremiah in Jeremiah 17, verses 5 through 8. Thus says the Lord, Cursed is the man who trusts in man and makes flesh his strength, whose heart turns away from the Lord. He's like a shrub in the desert, and shall not see any good come. He shall dwell in the parched places of the wilderness, in an uninhabited salt land. Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, who trusts, whose trust is the Lord, is, is Yahweh. He is like a tree planted by water that send out, sends out its roots by the stream and does not fear when the heat comes. For its leaves remain green and is not anxious in the year of drought, for it does not cease to bear fruit. The tree is fulfilling its purpose for being created, to bear fruit, the tree that is near the stream of water. And those who are near the stream of the water of God's word as well are fulfilling their purposes. They're living to glorify God and enjoy him. And to prosper, of course, does not necessarily mean attaining great wealth, but having God's blessing on our works and words. As Moses prayed in Psalm 90, establish the work of our hands. Yes, establish the work of our hands. Help our labor to count. Help it to make a difference, to accomplish its goals. 
And if the godly are like a tree planted by refreshing streams of water, then the wicked experience a different kind of existence. Verse 4, the wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drive away. Now, I'm not a farmer and have never worked on a farm, but picture harvest time and grain being tossed in the air with with a pitchfork, as it were, at the threshing floor in ancient Israel. The wind would separate the light chaff. It would blow away like the the breezes that came yesterday afternoon. And the husks would blow away. And the weightier grain would fall to the floor and be, be gathered up after that. Because the grain was more substantial. It weighed more. The chaff is light and it's useless. And we might think as well of, of husks on ears of corn that we eat when we have corn on the cob. We get rid of the husks. It's light. But the weightier corn we, we eat. The wicked are lightweight, persons without real substance. Yes, they may seem influential, but they will be shown not to be in the end. And in, in this fallen world, it's not shown to be true that, that in this life that, that justice will come. It will come in the day of judgment. And that leads us thirdly to the two ways to live results in two destinies. Not just two results in the short term, but two different destinies. Verse 5, therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. The psalmist is not unaware of the ways of the wicked. King David, who is identified in most of the Psalms as the author or compiler, he knows that we live in a fallen world. In fact, in these four, uh, in these six verses, it's mentioned four times the wicked, the phrase the wicked. In fact, in the, in the book of Psalms, the wicked are mentioned 90 times, and about half of those come in the first half or the first book, Psalms 1 through 41, which Palmer Robertson calls the book of confrontation. There's a conflict there between the godly and the wicked. Before the God the judge, the wicked will not have a leg to stand on. And among God's people, they will have no place either. They will collapse in the judgment. And they will be expelled from God's people also. Well, who are the righteous The righteous are those who fulfill their duties in all of their relationships with God and with others, who fulfill their responsibilities rightly. Who does that? Well, if we're honest, the reality is there's only one person who has ever lived, who's ever done that perfectly, and that's Jesus. He's the one and only truly righteous person. Because the people of Israel were not righteous, God sent Jesus, his his son and his Messiah, his anointed one, to take the punishment for their sins and for our sins as well. And those who trust in, in Jesus, the only righteous one, get credited with his perfect record and his perfect righteousness so that we're able to be among the congregation of the righteous. We're able to stand and be accepted in God's presence. And it is God's Holy Spirit who lives in us, who causes those who otherwise would not even have an interest in living rightly, living lives that please God and seek to please him, to delight in the law of the Lord. God's Holy Spirit empowers us, who gives us a new desire, a new direction for our lives. 
And those who trust in him get credited with that perfect record and perfect righteousness of Christ. Verse 6 says, For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. The kind of knowledge that God has here is not just informational. It's not just intellectual knowledge. It's, it's more than knowing about. It's knowing personally, knowing intimately. It's the same kind of intimate relationship of a husband and wife that's mentioned of Adam and Eve in Genesis chapter 4. And it, This kind of intimate knowledge that God has marks the love of God for his people, for his children. The Lord knowing means the Lord having a deep commitment to, a deep love and care for his own. He knows with affection. He knows his people with approval. God's knowing is an expression of his covenantal commitment to his people. And in Exodus 2, chapter, chapter 2, verses 24 and 25, we read, God heard their groaning, the groaning of his people and their slavering. And God remembered his covenant with Abraham and with Isaac and with Jacob. God saw the people of Israel and God knew. He knew he loved his people. He cared for his people. He showed his commitment to his people. And the way of righteous of the righteous is characterized not only by God's love for them, but also God, their love for God. A desire to live a godly life, a life that is pleasing to God. Not only God's covenant people of old Israel, but his new covenant people, the church, comes through a relationship with God's Messiah, Jesus. The destiny of God's people is life with God forever, peace and joy within that life. John 3.16, one of the best-known verses in the New Testament, says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe in him is condemned already, because he does not, has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. Psalm 1, verse 6 says, But the way of the wicked will perish. Contrast that with the, the one who believes in Jesus should not perish, but have eternal life. It's not going to end well for those who reject God's law, his instruction, who reject his son, Jesus, Jesus said in his Sermon on the Mount, again talking about these two ways to live. Matthew 7, Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction, and those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. Apparently it's possible for people to deceive themselves or be deceived, self-deceived. But God will not be deceived. Jesus, God the Son, says, again in Matthew 7, On that day many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name, and cast out demons in your name, and do mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. In other words, there are only two ways to live. Jesus doesn't give us a third option. The psalmist doesn't give us in Psalm 1 a third option. 
We build our house on the rock of God's word. We delight ourselves in the law of God and meditate on it, on his instruction, divine truth for daily living, or we build it on the sands of man's opinions. But there are consequences to our choices. The psalmist reminds us over and over, and Jesus does as well in the Sermon on the Mount. We're reminded of the importance here in Psalm 1 of of God's instruction, which builds the foundation for the rest of the Psalms here, that we must trust in the Lord Jesus Christ and his righteousness if we are to be a righteous person. We must repent of our desire and dabbling in the ways of the world, which is the way of sinners, the seed of scoffers. We can't simply be concerned with our own choices, though. We must also concern, be concerned with the choices of those whom we love, whether it's family members, church members, those within our spheres of influence, because these are life and death consequences that are faced here in these two ways to live. There is the blessing and blessedness for those who trust in Jesus' righteousness and set their hearts on living righteously as well and seek to follow his instructions. And there is perishing, being suffered by, consumed by drought in difficult places for the wicked. The choice is before us. Two ways to live. Shall we pray? Lord, we confess that none of us is righteous except one, except Jesus. But Lord, we desire to be a people that that seeks to live rightly in all of our relationships with you, with one another, with our neighbors as well. Lord, we confess that we need your help and strength of your Holy Spirit. Give us a heart that desires, that delights in your law, in your teaching, in your instruction, that is willing to, to make sacrifices, to, to learn it, to study it, to live it that, it, that it might truly be divine truth for daily living for us, in which it works its way out into all the different ways in which we live, all of our relationships practically. Lord, we know as we look at this that the consequences are great, We pray that you would help us to be concerned about who and what is influencing our thinking and our living. That we might be those who who associate ourselves with your word, who are devoted to it, who delight in it, who meditate on it, who associate with your people, who are seeking to live it out together. Lord, we don't want to neglect those who don't know your word, who haven't heard it. We pray that you would give us courage in an increasingly hostile society as we share it with others and may face rejection or scorn as a result of that. Give us courage to live in such a way that we're willing to to bear the cost, to suffer the cost, to count the cost. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for Jesus, who is the righteous one who enables us to to live righteously, who lived righteously for us and gives us a right relationship with you. We thank you for your Holy Spirit who lives within us. And we ask that we might be empowered, that we might be encouraged, that we might have a desire to, to delight in your word and to live for you and for your glory. We ask it in Christ's name. Amen.